opposing the government and opposing the Conservatives. I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that is the nature of the hard left. And of course, we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any who dissent. Who are the hard left, Chris? Well, we know who the hard left are in the you know, ascendancy you within, the, within the Labour Party who associate with the hard left. You just said that we were right in right wing. Hard left agenda. Printing money, nationalisation without compensation, that sort of hard left wing position. Hard sort of left, the hard 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 left, hard left, hard left, the hard left, the hard left, 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 hard left, hard left, I know this kind of uh, is a bit besides the point from our music discussion, but this is supposed to be a free for chat. Yeah. Um, the trailer for The Irishman is out now, Scorsese's next film for Netflix. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's about Jimmy Hoffa, the mob, yeah, right, union right, corruption, right. which is all the kind of stuff you really want from Scorsese, yeah. you know? Um some of the kind of sweeping tracking shots of like committee hearings um in the trailer reminded me of the aviator i'm hoping for something with a bit more oomph than the aviator <laughs> personally but yeah 2019 is a two film year for scorsese oh although 2010 was a three film year for him he did oh yeah shutter island a letter to elia which is of course a letter to hated scab and uh, huac rat Elia Kazan and 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 a film called Public Speaking, which I think is a, a oh it's a it's about the American author Fran Leibovitz. So which I've only seen Shutter Island. Yeah, yeah, uh, I I didn't watch a letter to Elia because I think that I I've got a tremendous respect for Martin Scorsese, but I think that in a personal journey with Martin Scorsese through American movies, his very, very informative and passionate documentary from the 90s, which mm. I, from which I learned a lot about American cinema and I got a lot of good film recommendations. I, oh, think, yeah. I think that sometimes Scorsese detaches art that he personally likes from its social and political context in a way that uh, is problematic is problematic and is intellectually indefensible really i think and he does it with both elia elia kazan who he, he never mentions in the documentary why kazan is hated and distrusted by a lot of people in hollywood and he um and he doesn't mention that birth of a nation was a kkk recruitment film i i see yeah. like i don't i don't for a second think scorsese is a KKK apologist. He is a liberal Democrat yeah. who is against racism. I I think, but um, but Sounds you can't. But yeah, but you can't sure. talk. Yeah, but you can't talk about Birth of a Nation without that context. It. Yeah. You can't simply just talk talk about it as 
you know, an innovative. It's like trying to talk about the triumph of the wills without mentioning Nazis. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. So, so that's why I would have to give a heavy, heavily caveated recommendation of a personal journey with Martin Scorsese through American movies, and that's why I have not sort out a letter to Elia. But, you know, he's a master. Mm. It's probably a very well-made documentary. And frankly, Elia Kazan was a master of his craft as well. Um, just a uh, an absolute a scumbag. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and just a real low-down and dirty piece of shit who never expressed any contrition for what he did. I'm going to raise a certain period in your life because very early on when you started out, you were a member of the Communist Party. Yeah. And then during the McCarthy era, in 1952, you were called to testify before right. the uh, House uh, Committee of American Un-American Activities. Mm. And you actually testified against a lot of people that you'd worked with, and named right. a lot of names. What, what did you hope to gain by that? Gain nothing, and just the truth. The only thing I had to gain was the feeling that I was doing the right thing. I didn't have a damn thing to gain about it. It meant a lot to me to to say that... Uh, but a lot that, of people didn't do that, did they? They would have protected people that they'd known. Well, they can do it. They, can, they do what they thought was right. I did what I thought was right. But I why did you choose that time when you were, in fact, called to testify to speak out? I mean, if you felt as you did, why didn't you say something before? You were, in fact, kicked out of the Communist Party. I mean, were you, in a way, trying to get back at them? Not at all, no, because uh, not until I was actually in the position of making a choice, which is essentially a very difficult choice, did I make it. You never know what you're going to do in those circumstances, Valerie, until you're confronted. You either must do this or that. There are choices in life, Valerie, that either way you go are painful. I didn't like to do it, but I thought when I thought about it very carefully, I thought it was the better of two uh, mean alternatives. Do you regret the decision now that you did that? Uh, No, I don't. I'm the opposite. uh, Since everything that's been revealed since then, I feel that anyone who's gone through Czechoslovakia, Hungary, the Nazi-Soviet pack, and all the rest of it, who still goes on that way uh, uh, shouldn't shouldn't have sympathy. I think they should be brought up as I was to confront their past and say what they really think. You did in fact lose a lot of friends through that and you were blacklisted for a time. Did it make it more difficult for you to work in Hollywood after that? It did because I had a certain notoriety. It did make it more difficult for me to work but uh, I don't mind losing friends if it's in a good cause and uh, I also gained a lot of friends. A lot of people admired what I did and said uh, it took courage. I think it took more courage to do what I did, and I got more disapproval than what the, the rest of them did. So we were just listening to Elia Kazan interviewed in 1978. I appreciate that interviewer's confrontational line of questioning. Next, we're going to hear some of a reaction to when Kazan was 20 years after that, presented with an honorary Oscar, a Lifetime Achievement Award presented to him on stage by Robert De Niro and, of course, Martin Scorsese. First off, we get to hear some of the protesters outside the venue, and then we get to hear, in this order, Kevin Costner coming out with a view sympathetic to Kazan, Patrick Stewart praising Kazan's work, but not being particularly sympathetic to him and criticising the House Un-American Activities Committee, and then Liam Neeson giving the stupidest, most meaningless, middle-of-the-road, centrist answer you could possibly imagine. So enjoy. The billion people are going to know that there are people in Los Angeles who will not be silent when a confessed snitch stool pigeon gets an award. You can't separate his art from his life, and you can't separate his life from the lives he ruined. 
because that is nothing more than a lowly stool pigeon of the McCarthy area. He'd rather have his own personal attributes and his fancy cars and the hell with his fellow workers. He is a disgrace to the humankind. It'll be really interesting to see what's on his mind because I'm sure there's a lot of things flooding through it right now. You know, uh, he certainly had to pay an awful price because uh, a business he clearly loves so much, he must feel very outside it. And I, I can empathize with that feeling having to go up there in front of a lot of people. I mean, the expectations that uh, people are putting on this, it, it seems uh, monumental right now. I didn't know people made movies like his, and movies about people like me. And it was an extraordinary and life-changing experience. But I, uh, I am violently opposed to everything that was done by the Un-American Activities Committee. And uh, I feel sad about his testimony. I think it's good that there is a, a hoopla law because it shows we live in a democracy. It's freedom of speech, and you know we are honouring an extraordinary artist. Period. That's what the that's what this evening's about. The two are not uh, mutually exclusive, I guess. Yeah. No, they're not. I mean, what watch uh, Elliot Kazan's film A Face in the Crowd and deny that that man was a great artist, but at the same time. You got to mention the context. You've yeah. got you yeah, you've got to put it into the proper context. And I'm sure that a letter to Elia does expand on those events in his life more. I just have a feeling that it probably slips into apologia. Yeah. I haven't um, seen it, but that doesn't sound like an unreasonable. <laughs> Nor have I. So let's stop slagging off this obscure Scorsese <laughs> documentary <Right>. uh, <laughs> from from 2010 that nobody has fucking seen. Uh, and let, <laughs> let's focus on the fact that the Irishman looks cool as hell and that the Rolling yes. Thunder review, a Bob Dylan story by Martin Scorsese, is 100% good as hell. And I've seen it. Although the funny thing is that it contains loads of like fake news. He he just kind yeah. of fab he just sort of fabricated all this stuff for it and like there's so like Sharon Stone appears and says that she like joined the Rolling Thunder Review tour when she was like seventeen. Uh, and apparently that's completely false. She had never had anything to do with the tour. Yeah. Uh, there's this guy <laughs> who's like, I am a very serious German filmmaker or something, who says that he <laughs> f- filmed all the stuff. Completely fit. Uh, not Werner, no. But it turns out that this guy is like a completely fictitious character who never existed. It's played by an actor. Uh, so there's all this like... So I I mean, I actually quite like that because it's just like, yeah, I'll do a documentary, but I'll just put all this bullshit in it as well. And I reckon... You wanted like, to learn something? Fuck yeah, you. <laughs> fuck you, yeah. But I reckon Dylan himself would have loved that approach. Like, Bob... I, I reckon uh, mm. Marty probably mentioned it to Bob, and Bob got all excited, like, oh, man, so you're gonna be... gonna be telling people lies? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Whoa, what is that? What is that? What is it? Oh, no, not the beast! Not the beast! Ah! Oh, no, my eyes! Right, have we got anything else to talk about? Um, I mean, well, it's up to you if you want to put this in the recording or not, but I was going to ask you about a couple of films I saw that you'd seen lately. Yeah, bro, yeah, go on, go on. I I'm, guess, I'm in no rush. 
Uh, first off, uh, the Wicker Tree, because I'm a big fan of the Wicker Man. Um, Terrible. Terrible. Yeah, God awful. Yeah, piece okay. of shit. Yeah. I, I slightly overrated it because I thought uh, I, I thought it was a kind of cool thing that they try and do a modern day Wicker Man. Nah, man, it's rubbish. Like the music is like massively less haunting than in the original. The uh, the, the the you know kind of uh, psychosexual subtext is is just uh, well. I mean, they explicate a lot of it, and 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 they instead of this thing about the sort of uh, sexually repressed uh virginal christian guy uh, in the original they've instead got uh a former like uh a former very sexually suggestive pop star who has converted to christianity and become a christian singer and her and her um her boyfriend who really just wants to shag her but because <laughs> they they've, they've got the chastity rings um, uh, uh, but it's just I see. So they they tried to get a similar angle about the kind of intersection of religion mm. and sexuality, but it's just so ineffective and stupid and, and corny. Um, it almost it sounds just... like 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 the like, uh, the remake of the Wicker Man with Nicolas Cage. Oh yeah, <laughs> with that they sort of it wasn't so much about sex as about gender wasn't it they made it a kind of like war of the sexes thing yeah i think so i just mostly remember the bees the bees (laughs) well that's all anyone remembers how to get burned how to get burned I have seen I've seen the film at least an an hour of it or so before. My, I think I think I watched it with my friend Will, who's a bit like Tom in that he has a couple of puffs and then he's right fast yeah. asleep. So, so me, I so bet Will, I, yeah, 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 yeah. Will's a great bloke, but he's very sleepy at times. And <laughs> yeah. I, so I watched I watched it with Will, and then uh, he probably fell asleep about an hour in or so, and I just gave up <laughs> on the film and went home. <laughs> Fair. I, I think, yeah. wasn't it like the the first time I met him I couldn't get out of your flat because he was in front of the door and passed out ah, yeah <laughs> okay. I'm, that's all that's all coming back to me now yeah that was very funny ah, good very, old sleepy stoners sleepy will <laughs> did you end up watching that Louis Theroux documentary on the Westboro Baptist Church no I'm a bit behind on Louis to be honest I gotta watch Same. like a couple of his He's... other ones that came out last year his films are too serious now. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, so here's the thing. I mean, as the new documentary shows, Louis Theroux's focus on extremist bigots in the past has sometimes focused as, sometimes functioned as a recruitment drive for extremist bigots. Against the odds, Jail had found someone from an unlikely place. If you listen to the millions of Brits, it's just amazing how detached from reality they really are. The reality is Britain is broken. Stephen Holroyd from Bradford had joined in 2011, becoming another face in Westborough's online ministry of hate, denouncing a culture he viewed as decadent and taking aim at gay celebrities. What does that say for a nation when they exalt a sodomite like Elton John and Carlin Sir? How disgusting can you get? God hates the UK. So to get this out of the way, how does a young man from Bradford come to be a member of the Westboro Baptist Church? He has shown some things by God. Right. And I'd seen your documentary, 
I also seen Jeremy Kyle's deal with Sherl and Becca. And thought what? Because most people saw those appearances and thought, well, those guys are crazy. Right. But you didn't think that. It was impressive to see that they knew what Bible verses were being referenced. I was impressed by that, so I wanted to learn more. So I, I can understand how he wants to do more kind of compassionate documentaries rather than ones that are like pointing and like, oh, look at that freak. Um, yeah. I guess I just find the stuff he does now harder to watch because it's all like devastating stories about people with Alzheimer's or brain injuries or something, you know? Yeah. Um, I thought this new documentary lacked some fire of his previous ones. Um, you know, okay. but it's, it's worth a watch. Yeah, I think the last one I watched was, speaking of serious, depressing subjects, the one about um, assisted suicide. Oh god, yeah, you see you see what I mean, you know? It's, yeah. it's devastating. It's it some of the stuff fucking he does. Crushing, now. yeah. And then I think before that I saw anorexia. It, oh like, man. Yeah, it's all just like yeah. Oh my he's god. gone serious. Don't get me yeah, he's really Like it's really important gone that people cover this stuff, but yeah, it's Absolutely. it's definitely something you have to be like in the mood for. <laughs> yeah, like I mean I find like fictitious violence hard to stomach at the moment. Real life physical mm. and emotional trauma very very hard to stomach Yeah, yeah. One very quick film recommendation before we go, then, because I've made myself all upset about Central Park Five now. I watched a couple of films with that S. Craig Zala guy, and everyone was like, "Oh, the guy is like a racist, reactionary piece of shit." Uh, And I watched his films, and like, oh my god, it's like the explicit text of his films, his terrible right-wing racist politics. (laughs) Kind, kind of good on a filmmaking level, though won't get too deep into that because I, he doesn't really need my praise um <laughs> I, I would recommend a documentary from 2012 called a band called death uh, uh, i haven't heard of that one death are so there's a death metal band called death and there's also a documentary about them but i don't like them they're <laughs> not my kind of thing the death who i like were the original death 
their career largely failed because they were called death. There were numerous <laughs> points where they were about to get signed and their guitarist, Bobby, was like, absolutely not when the company was like, we'll sign you if you change your name. Because <laughs> you're not going to you're not going to sell any records as death. Uh, and Bobby, who was like the leader, was like, absolutely fucking not. We are death. <laughs> That's what we are. They had they had like a whole kind of like mythos developed. But basically, they were three brothers Three African American brothers, um, okay. I, uh, that, and that is important because the type of music they play was not uh, a common type of music for Black people in those days. Uh, when I say brothers, I'm not trying to use uh, African American lingo. They were brothers, yeah. <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> and basically, they were a bunch of guys. They had like a kind of soul funk band, and then they went to see Alice Cooper. And then the Who, and they decided that actually rock and roll was where it was at. <laughs> so they sort of bought all these rock and roll albums and studied them, and then they started playing together as a kind of power trio. And they made like the most amazing proto punk okay. kind of. This yeah. was long, be- so they they didn't influence punk because they never actually had a record released. <laughs> but you could uh, you could be forgiven for thinking that they were a band who influenced punk right. when you hear their stuff and know what years it's from. It's from the early 70s, and okay. it was finally released in 2009, a couple of years before this film came out. Uh, and yeah, you, you, you gotta... You, I mean, it's one of the best music documentaries I've watched recently, a band called Death. Is that spelt, um, just to confirm, that's spelt like death dying, right? Death, yeah. yeah. I think like a family member of theirs died, and, and the Bobby was like, I've got the concept, guys. <laughs> Death. <laughs> sure. Uh, but that that fucking album, man, the 2009 one that was recorded in the 70s, absolutely killer. There's a okay. banging tune on there called Politicians in My Eyes. <laughs> and also there's a kind of like a Dewey Cox sort of element in that they just keep there changing their... Yeah, they keep kind of changing their sound uh, and, and, and ra- like drastically jumping from this one type of band to the other. So they were like, they were Death, the gritty proto-punk band. And then once by the late 70s, they realized that Death wasn't going anywhere. They they became like, uh, hang on, Death band. They became basically a Christian rock group is what I'm saying. Um, okay. But they recorded an album um, apparently two albums as the fourth movement uh, which were, which were just properly uh, properly passionate Christian rock <laughs> and then Bobby left the band and the other two formed a reggae band um, which enabled them to make um, to basically make a living as musicians for several decades until Death reformed, sadly, without Bobby, who died in I think the late nineties. Uh, but but yeah, Death got back together around the same time that their seventies stuff got released. Oh, cool! So yeah, man, like uh, I'll have to check I, that I, out. I, yeah, like really cool. And the documentary about them is good. It's funny. It's like heartwarming, you know. Yeah. Um, these these and the music is fucking good as well. These guys were for real. Oh yeah, I believe you. I'll I'll, I'll check it out. Oh, excellent. Sounds cool. Oh, and before they were called Death, 
and before death <laughs> called the fourth movement <laughs> and before the fourth movement turned into whatever the reggae band was called <laughs> they <laughs> they were originally called Rockfire Funk Express. Oh my god, that's a great name. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and in 2011, Jack White's record label, Third Man, actually released a single by the original lineup of Rockfire Funk Express. <laughs> so there's, it was great, man. Since 75, sorry, since 2009, um, there's just been this whole burst of death music after <laughs> decades of them being this, this, this unheard, unheard of band because yeah. they. Yeah, they released all the archival stuff and they uh, recorded new stuff as well. So it's, I mean, oh, yeah. pretty cool, man. Nice. And just and just great one of those stories where a band just, they fuck up and then they have this glorious comeback, you know, and they get to kind of... Apart from the one who died. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. There's the element of the fact that Bobby has died and so there is a bittersweet element to it. But sure. there's the fact that, like, their, some of their kids formed a death tribute band and stuff, so it's like it's in the family. Um, yeah, man, Su- super cool, I think. Dope.
it's tech, it's exciting, it's young people, it's crowdsourcing.